You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Today's special podcast presentation is sponsored by Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency and APRO-RX, the transparent PBM partner of community pharmacies. Let's listen in to the discussion titled, The Marley Medicare Manifesto to Dismantle the Traditional PBMs. Here's our hosts, Todd Yuri and Bruce Neeland. Hey there, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for showing up to another live event that we're going to take and rehash into a podcast episode. So if you are listening to the live um, version of this gathering, um, thank you so much for attending. Thank you so much for being a part of a very interesting presentation that we have called the Marley Medicure Manifesto to dismantling the traditional PBMs. And really there's a lot to unpack into this and it's really a it's a thought. It's a it's a way of helping to change our status quo situation that we're all in in caring for patients because that's really what it comes down to. It's the profitability of the three largest PBMs out there. It's it's about caring for patients. And when I think of the heart of community pharmacy, I think of uh, fighters. I think of organizations and people and owners and and uh, caretakers that have done nothing but spent their entire life serving their communities in in a pharmacy realm. And one of those people that I learned from, I met nearly 10 years ago, um, ran a pharmacy called Marley Drug. And his name is Dave Marley. And he really was one of those people that I remember as a fighter and, and who was uh, very irritated with how his business was being manipulated uh, for the profits of an insurance carrier that was doing very little to care for his patients that he took extremely personally as a community pharmacy owner. I would like to welcome and introduce Dave Marley to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. I also want to introduce Neil Owens. Uh, Neil is part of Medicure. We have a big story to tell you that uh, has come out of um, the the brainchild of, of Medicure and Dave Marley and in place in the fusion of a drug manufacturer with a community pharmacy. It's absolutely uh, genius. But before we uh, get started, I wanna say welcome to Neil. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here and talk about our approach and uh, some of our ideas. Absolutely. And also, I want to uh, welcome a, um, a very respected and trusted uh, individual in my world who's taught me a lot about PBMs from the inside out, someone who is uh, a pedigree in the pharmacy marketplace, a community pharmacy owner. His brother is a pharmacist, uh, Ken Fields. Uh, I'd like to welcome Kyle Fields with APRO-RX. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. So Kyle, thank you for sponsoring this event and helping us to get the word out. Um, I'm excited about really diving into what this means. And I, I wanna take some steps back in going back to the opening of what I said regarding um, Dave Marley. Dave, you have been a pharmacy owner for a while and I, I want you to take us back to the sweet spot in your life where 
you were excited about becoming a pharmacy owner and the uh, the barriers to delivering patient care to your patients wasn't um, wasn't in place uh, like it was uh, today as an independent pharmacy owner. Can you give us uh, how you got into the business and how things were when you first started up? Sure. You know, we opened our pharmacy, Marley Drug, from scratch in 2003. A pretty simple story. You know, I was getting a, a medicine for my newborn at the time at a, at a very busy chain and uh, realized the service and, and uh, everything about that experience was horrible. And so um, literally walked out of that pharmacy going, you know what, I can do better than this. And, you know, within a period of less than six months, went from an idea to opening the doors. That, that experience was in May of 2003, and we had uh, Marley Drug open by November of 2003. Um, it, it was what I would have called the, the, the initial golden period of being an independent pharmacy. You know, people used to say, well, how can you compete? Well, at the time, I was competing with just the chains. And from a, a standpoint of service, uh, we were winning that fight day in and day out. You know, we, I had one chain a half mile from me, two others within three miles. And uh, I'll just tell you, we, we're still open and one of those chains is not. Uh, they, they've gone by the wayside because we, we provided a fantastic service. The community um, welcomed us with open arms. They were desperate for good pharmacy service. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it really was up until about 2007. And then, you know, the, the, the combination of the, the recession, I think, hit everybody, PBMs included. And that's when I noticed what I called the big squeeze to where our margins were taking a big hit. The uh, profession was just being battered left and right by just a variety of what I call shady business practices of the PBMs that took the revenue that we were generating and took it for themselves while adding nothing to the, to the healthcare process. So 2003, I want to bring in uh, Bruce Nealon, who's uh, my co-host and, and really helps me to remember uh, where we've been in the community pharmacy space, what we're bringing with um, the value that the original uh, community pharmacy owners um, brought, which was really patient-centered care. It's, it was nothing new to our grandfathers in pharmacy and our great-grandmothers in pharmacy and the people that have built uh, community pharmacy from the beginning. Um, Bruce, uh, 2003, um, what was community pharmacy like? Boy, uh, it's hard for me to separate these things by decades, but uh, I'll, I'll give it the old college try. In 2003, we were just starting to do flu shots in pharmacy. Uh, other immunizations would follow. Um, the uh, wholesalers were really aggressively consolidating. Uh, I, I guess that had pretty much uh, completed the course where we had the big three wholesalers um, who dominated the market. And um, the aggressive, I think, acquisition of independent pharmacies by chains began. Um, I remember doing a, a project for Cardinal Health about that time where my task was to try to call every pharmacy that they had lost 
and uh, chat with them to find out a little bit about why they had left Cardinal. And, and I was amazed that clearly a third of the phone calls I made to Fred's Pharmacy or Southtown Pharmacy, the phone answered, thank you for calling CVS Pharmacy. So they had changed the, uh, you know, the phone numbers over to the pharmacies. And good, bad, or indifferent, I think we were at the heart of the uh, uh, service interruptions associated with uh, opioids. Uh, the wholesalers were getting very aggressive in, in uh, shutting uh, things off. So I think that's a fair assessment of what the landscape was at about the turn of the turn of the century. I'm setting the stage, Kyle, on purpose because I really want to have the listeners that don't understand where we've come from to understand why the pain that we're experiencing, you know, that old saying, when you put a frog in cool water and you slowly turn up the temperature, by the time it's boiling, the frog doesn't realize that it's been cooked. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Dave Marley and your dad, Kyle, remember when the water was only lukewarm and it wasn't boiling. Um, but a lot of us, you know, younger guys in the pharmacy industry and younger gals who are running pharmacies today, kind of gotten used to the pinch, to the DIR fee um, shenanigans, to the to the shell game, uh, to the rebate game, to the gag clauses. I mean, of everything that's come that doesn't make any sense in the lack of transparency of healthcare. So. What do you remember, Kyle, about what Dave kind of talked about as the golden age of community pharmacy? David, the nail on the head. Pharmacy is almost the last person to get paid from the ones doing the service. And we live in a weird time where, where volume doesn't, doesn't cure, cure everything. Actually, it makes it worse. Because um, if you're not getting paid, the more most people get paid for the services and, and, and for the things that they sell, service being the pharmacist and what they sell being the medication, and if you're getting a negative, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day reports, and you're not getting paid on those drugs, the more you fill, um, the worse you're off as a company, and that that doesn't make any sense. Um, you think like, well, how do I how do I grow my way out of a problem? And it's the absolute opposite. It's a, it's a, it's a paradox in the pharmacy space, and the reason is because of of PBMs. The amount of profit that's taken out of a PBM, having started a PBM, you know, with with Ken and Dad. Is is the fact that it's not newsworthy each and every day is is mind blowing, because they're they're making it sound like pharmacies are the villains, um, and pharmacists are the villains, and just because they want to get paid for the services that they provide. Pharmacy school is not free. That building's not free. Employees don't work for free. Uh, Cardinal wants their bill every two weeks. You know, and, and and insurance pays in a month, and if they pay, and then at the end of the year they're going to claw back what they claw back, take what they take. In the end, you're you're almost a hostage in 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 the PBM space, and and again, Apple, we don't do that. Let me just point that out there, so everybody thinks I'm trying to make PBM a, a back to a three letter word and not a four letter word with pharmacies because you a PBM can pay the pharmacies and still save the client money at the same time, and you're being led to believe that's not the case. Again, the, there's a status quo, uh, an apathy um, uh, out there amongst the payers. Um, amongst the politicians, amongst amongst everybody, even the smartest among us cannot figure out a PBM contract. Golden age, Dave, as you said, was when you competed against other pharmacies. Now your competition is really the PBM. 
And I always said that I would rather have a CVS pharmacy inside my own pharmacy, which I, I do own, you know, Waynesville Pharmacy, Waynesville, Ohio. I'd rather have them inside my pharmacy than compete against CVS Caremark because I knew that I was going to win 90% of the time on price, on real price. I was going to win 90, on 100% of the time on customer care and 100% of the time on, on the actual healthcare and providing, um, you know, uh, outcomes and, and adherence. And, and, and frankly, our stores are cleaner. So, so, but if you're, if you, now you have a situation where you can't go to Winslow Pharmacy, I don't care if things were free out there, you cannot go there. It is not paid for. And they try to make it sound like, like it's illegal to go to an independent pharmacy. Uh, if you don't use mail order, it's illegal to do that. Um, the marketing and the ability of a, uh, of a PBM to make money. And again, their marketing piece is unmatched in the oligarch world uh, of, of the business space. Um, it has antitrust issues, the vertical monopolies that are formed that we're trying to, to break as a PBM. Um, it, they control seemingly every single piece of, uh, of uh, you know, the pharmacy chain, of the payment chain, and in a, in a perfect world, it's supposed to drive down costs. But as we all know, monopolies drive up costs. And, and just like if I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, but let's just say Standard Oil. You know, Standard Oil was broken up because they stopped. They people did not agree with them. They stopped sending oil to. And if, if, if Dave Marley's out there and he says PBMs are bad and they threaten to take him out of the, out of the uh, networks, you know, uh, get in line, Dave. You know, stay in line. You hey, stay in your lane, you know, or else, you know, or else we're going to you know, burn down your home. And, and, and that, that may seem like a hyperbole, but, but Dave would lose his home and all farmers would lose their home if PBMs cut you out of the network just simply for, for asking questions. And, and that's what needs to change in the space. And it's, it's not through legislation. That's in my opinion, it's not through legislation because typically the politicians will go to their big three for advice uh, or people that work with the big three uh, for advice when really it needs to go down to the payer. You know, at the bottom line, you can pay your pharmacies. We want people to go to the independent pharmacies for umpteen reasons, but all around healthcare and then cost in the end. Um, and it just, it has to change. Uh, so hopefully after this podcast, it starts a catalyst and, and, a, and, a, and a cascade of change in, the, in this world uh, of PBM because it, it has to, because it will, it, that the traditional model will fail. It has to. Neil, um, Dave Marley didn't wait around any longer for, um, for permission to do what he did next. And that is he started to grow his community pharmacy throughout the nation, delivering the same type of pharmacy services that his own uh, community was used to. And he's extending those services to some specialty disease states and the expertise that his, that his team brought to the fold because he had uh, patients that demanded those types of services. And this small community pharmacy now grows into a national provider of pharmacy services. Um, what gained your attention of Dave Marley and why did Medicure want to get involved? To be honest, I didn't know very much about Dave until we started looking for a pharmacy ourselves because like what Kyle said, we were a manufacturer. We manufacture a few hospital products, but we also have a consumer prescription product. 
And we're based in Canada, uh, Winnipeg, Canada. We are not uh, kind of an online pharmacy. We, we uh, have FDA approved products and we all of our sales are in the US. <clears throat> and uh, frankly, as a Canadian, I didn't know very much about the PBM system until we kind of got into the standard approach, which is to work with PBMs to get uh, coverage for a product. And the story is, is that we did succeed to some extent with the PBMs, but like Kyle said, at some point, they really ha have positioned themselves in the, the center of the process. And it, it is kind of crazy to me, the current system. So we wanted to avoid the whole process completely. And part of the reason why I'm here with Dave is I really want to help expose the pricing game um, because it really, I think it really hurts people. I think it impacts them. I think it hurts consumers, pharmacies, and manufacturers. And so like Kyle said, I think, I think it's time that something be done. Um, so we, so when we kind of ran into a wall, it was, it was partly the, the, the insurance coverage, but also just the consumer experience. What we were hearing from consumers, uh, for trying to access our product, which is a statin, it's a newer statin is they had to fail on five statins. They then needed a prior authorization. They then had a very high copay. And then if they went to the pharmacy, they had problems getting it because uh, the pharmacy may not carry it because it was a branded product. Uh, and we thought this is crazy. We need to bypass the PBMs completely. Let's just sell directly to consumers. Uh, and so that's where we started looking for a pharmacy that had basically distribution in all 50 states. Um, and it was honestly just a, a happy coincidence that we found Dave uh, who is looking to, to move on and, and sell his, his pharmacy, um, who had the existing infrastructure set up, who had the, the pharmacy team who knew how to market nationwide. And one of the first conversations we had was, um, you know, we want to work with a pharmacy, but we, we don't like the PBMs. I think the word was, we hate the PBMs. <laughs> and Dave said, great, me too. <laughs> uh, and so it kind of, not only it was one plus one equals two, but one plus one equals three in our mind. So it was really just a happy coincidence that we found Dave, but we've, we've learned so much from Dave and um, it, it just, it just worked out that way that, that Dave has his whole career. He's worked towards this goal uh, of, you know, trying to provide service, a great, a fair price. Um, so it just aligned really, really well with us. And so I guess on today's discussion, I, I like to talk about some of the numbers and I know Dave is going to talk about ways that he thinks we can really dismantle the PBMs. Absolutely. So I want to come to you, Dave. Um, you are a fighter. You, you're a hockey player. Uh, you're an aggressive hockey player. You've been a hockey player for some time and, and, and you enjoy it. And I think there's a personality in your, in the way that you play hockey that reminds me of, of you as a business owner and in the protection of your community, the protection of your, your patients, that spirit that you drive as a business owner, which is, is something that I admire. And, and you helped to put together a group that I became uh, mesmerized by called Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, who's also part of um, the Pharmacy Podcast Network and really getting out month-to-month -month information on what is happening in PBM reform across the nation, state by state, state but also federal. 
Um, but let's go back to this idea of, of getting rid of the PBM between you and your patient and how you were doing that in a multitude of different strategies and moving forward from um, the small community, friendly community uh, pharmacy in, in Winston-Salem to this, this national provider of pharmacy services. Sure. <laughs> Let me hit two things for you. That it's perfectly then. One is just to clarify. Uh, my memory is crystal clear of when we talked that, that first conversation with Medicare. You know, and it started like this. You know, they, they were telling me they had this product and they needed. You know, they wanted to do national distribution, so it was all it was all sounding good. You know, yeah, they need the fifty licenses. Yeah, we've got the pharmacy. And then they said, yeah, it's a brand name statin. And I thought, oh fuck, they're gonna want this thing branded you know, and process through the PBMs and we don't fucking do that. And so I said, let me stop right there. I, I don't deal with the PBMs. No, I mean, I don't want to expand my PBM business. So if, if that's the market you want to go down, you're looking at the wrong guy. And they said, no, 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 no. We don't want to do it either. I was like, oh, okay. Then, then let, let's talk about it. Um, and so, you know, that, that really was the conversation that those were my thoughts, actual thoughts. I remember where I was sitting in the basement, we're having that phone call. You know, and as far as PUT goes, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, you know, Kyle said it, you know, that, that was our rationale back in 2011 was my belief, and I still believe it to be true, we will never out-legislate and we will never out-lobby uh, or litigate the PBMs. They got more money than God, you know, and so they got three-to-one lobbyists of just about anybody else in Washington, and they got 10-to-one lawyers, so... You know, we, we may score, the industry may score a little, I'll call them penny any victories here or there. You know, everybody waved their flag over the gag clause. Well, big fucking deal. It didn't really change the business of pharmacy. You know, the PBMs are still there, and I still don't think we're ever going to legislate or, or litigate around them. And so, to your question, you know, where, where did this idea come from? You know, it was a matter of uh, same thing back in 2011. When Lipitor went generic, I was on the wholesaler, I was on the board of directors of our wholesale mutual drug. And we were in a board meeting. And I remember the CEO saying, got bad news for you guys. You know, we're going to lose a lot of revenue when Lipitor goes generic because we make a lot of money off that drug. And that goes back to the members in terms of rebates, you know, same, same game, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, you take the number one drug in the country and the wholesalers losing a lot of money. You guys are going to have to figure out how to make money on the front end, not, not count on your rebates. And so that really was the impetus of how do I make more money per fill? Well, the easy answer, one, is get the PBMs out of my hair. And then the next question was, well, how the hell do I do that? And so what started out, you know, three or four years before that was how do we counter the Walmart $4 generic? Well, to do that, we had already had a 90-day program you know, that we were doing 90 days for 20 bucks and, and many of the Walmart generics and then some. And so then the question in 2011 was, how do we make more per script? Well, it was very simple. If I can do 90 days for $20, why can't I do six months? And so it was, all right, let's just double that, knock a little bit off and uh, give the patient an incentive to do it. So we did six months for $37. Two times 20 was 40 bucks, knock $3 off. Now it's six months for 37. And then it was, oh shit, if I can do six months for 37, why can't I do a year? 
And same logic. Well, two times 37 is 74. Knock a little bit off. That comes down to 70. And there you have a, a 37-70 count program, if you will, for a six-month and 12-month supply. And then it became, you know, if, if we're going to do that, and I'm going to, that, that's not going to work in a traditional five-mile radius independent drugstore. Because if I give everybody in my neighborhood a year supply this month, I'm going to have nobody to, to deal with next month because they all got their stuff for the next 12 months. So then it became, how do I take this outside of my five-mile radius? Well, we went statewide with some state publications and advertising. And I remember we, we, the, the first advertisement I bought was a statewide magazine, biggest, biggest uh, nut I'd ever swallowed, if you will, for advertising. It was a, almost a $5,000 ad for one time in a magazine. I thought, well, it's either going to work or it's not. And I still remember the guy's name. I won't say it because of HIPAA, but I still remember the first phone call we got on that advertisement. And so now we've got statewide business. And then we had a doctor pick up on us, which led to the question, well, how do we market to the doctors? Well, we start going to doctor's meetings. And so it just became, you know, what I call inspiration by desperation. You know, we were desperate to figure out how to stay in business in a way that the PBMs can't put their fingers in and how to keep growing it. And so, you know, all the while doing that, trying to deal with the same nonsense and bullshit that we were dealing with at the, at the store level with the PBMs, watching, like I said, when the recession hit, you know, you guys that are pharmacists here, you remember the, you know, the average generic margin was about 25 to 30 bucks on a PBM. And I think it was your brother, Kyle, who said he was in a meeting where the PBM said their goal was to get that number down to seven bucks. They didn't want any pharmacy making more than seven bucks a strip. And that scared the hell out of me. That, that was, again, another reinforcement of, well, if I used to make 25 bucks and it's going to come down to seven, we need to find another revenue stream and it needs to be without the PBM. So Yeah, with zero explanation, too. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, literally, you'd see last month I made 30 bucks, this month I made seven. Dave, can I ask a question about all that? So when when you bought that statewide ad, I mean, were you picking up certainly people who were just paying cash and they were also still dealing with their pharmacy for the other things that they that they needed to get that weren't generic or weren't that cheap? I mean, were you splitting yeah. that that customer between yourself and somebody else? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we drew a line right off the bat. I didn't want all their business. And to this day, I'm the same way. I don't want brand business. I don't give a shit if I ever fill another brand prescription. Well, when I owned it, <laughs> sorry, Medicare folks, I owned it. I didn't give a shit if I ever filled another brand ever. You know, the, the Making 3% on a $300 or $400 drug just was foolish to me. It didn't make good business sense. So in my mind, you know, it's fine. CVS, Walgreens, y'all can have that shit. Keep it to yourselves. I don't want it. Well, and for our listeners, I'd just point out a couple things that I heard is you saw a problem, you thought about it, and then you experimented with something. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect a couple things you tried didn't work out well. Could you remember one of those real quick for us? Nope. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, you know, the, the only thing I tried, honestly, in, in, in my years was to start a, a PBM. That failed. 
Okay. Did RX disclosure um, as a transparent PBM, um, you know, using data RX as the back end. You know, all I learned from that was that the brokers have this game pretty much locked up. And so even though we could show employer savings, uh, the brokers would fuck up in a heartbeat. And so, Absolutely. you know, that's, that, that venture didn't work. That was, you know, $10,000, $20,000. You know, the things that we tried in the pharmacy, I want to say we never failed, but, you know, we, we had, we hit on an idea in 2012 that worked. And so it was, how do we keep making it work? Um, you know, and the fact is, you know, I'm here today with, with Neil because, you know, it kept working and, and we kept building on it and building on it. Not well, you got, you got pretty aggressive <laughs> with radio ads. I know I moved to Prescott, Arizona just about five years ago. And um, one of the radio stations here was running ads for you out way out here. So you, yeah. you went, you went big with your advertising and marketing. Yeah, that 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 I'll tell you exactly how we did that. I call that my Vegas story, meaning two a couple of different pieces to, to, to tell you how it pulled together. One was that statewide magazine. So that got attention all across the state of North Carolina. The, the next part of that story was that magazine was published in doctor's offices. And so a doctor started sending people to us. So I called the doctor and said, What gives? And he said, It's very simple. I've got a lot of people that can't afford their medications, even their generics. You know, if it's not on Walgreens list, it's still crazy expensive. Your prices are better. So I'm sending everybody to you. So that led to the next phase of physician marketing. When we started going to physician conferences, going to physician conferences led to physicians from other states wanting to use us, which led to us having to get licenses in other states. Some of these things were purely happenstance. Son, who's also a hockey player, his coach, uh, when he was a squirt, meaning he was a 10U, uh, his hockey coach were, was in radio. And so he convinced me to try radio ads. Up, up till that point, I thought, nah, waste of money. But at the same time, we were looking for ways to expand our reach. And so we tried radio. We also did a print newspaper ad in our local paper. Um, and this was when the program started, you know, which is a whole other story. I don't want to waste today's podcast on that. But, you know, we found a way to market profitable services. And then the Vegas piece of that was, like I do when I go to Vegas to play blackjack. You know, if I, if I had a, have a good run, I put half in my pocket and leave half on the table. But it was the same thing with our advertising. As we were making money on the ads, I kept half in the business and I threw the other half into more ads. So I'll tell you, over a period of a year, our ad budget went from, you know, $1,000 a month to close to $30,000 a month. That at its peak was spending... $300,000 a month on radio ads. Uh, example, before we ask uh, Neil some questions about um, moving and pivoting and juking around the status quo to make a business out of community pharmacy. One of our guests that's listening in, his name is Dr. Kyle McCormick. He's from my own uh, area of Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area. Uh, Kyle uh, went out and built Blueberry Pharmacy in Westview uh, Parking, uh, Westview Park Shopping Center in Pittsburgh, and primarily carrying generics and cutting out middleman insurance and 
educating his patient and creating a membership opportunity. And then I think of another Concord, North Carolina company called Troy Medicare. that's coming up with uh, new ways of, of, of managing business and in how that impacts pharmacy. And so the PBM, I don't believe can be taken down in one manner. I think it has to be a, a multitude of strategies from something as grandiose of what, as what Dave Marley and Medicare have built to being as simplistic as what, not to discredit Kyle, but what Kyle has done in his community and educating his community about pharmacy services and pharmacy care and how it, how it can save them um, money, but it can also save them time and it can also save them the lack of trust that they don't have with a mail order environment or a mail service environment that, that they don't give that same feeling that, that even Dave's team have created through mail service. Um, and I like saying mail service versus mail order. Everyone listening, if you want to get into something in the mail, you be a mail service pharmacy as a community pharmacy, not order. It's not about the order. It's about the patient and the service that you provide as community pharmacists. But Neil, what in the world can we do in breaking down the partnerships and breaking them down to something as simple as being a partner of a Medicure, of a, of a medication manufacturer to, to get the middlemen out of the way so we can put our community pharmacists back in control, medication therapy management reviews, uh, caring for the patient in specialty disease states, what ideas can you bring to the table for, for our audience today as community pharmacy owners? So a few things. One is, um, as, as a manufacturer, we are interested in working with independent pharmacies, even though we do uh, you know, operate through, through Marley Drug. So I, I think that that is a, a generality that, that all of the listeners can, can look into that there can be partnerships between pharmacies, independent pharmacies and manufacturers. And I think that, that those are really two powerful ends of the, of the business spectrum of you know, uh, manufacturing quality products and then distribution and consultation with, with patients. Um, so when, when we actually do work with other independent pharmacies right now, what we are looking for is a little bit of what Dave talked about, which is the ability to market locally uh, and the ability to really network with your local uh, physicians, or at least network in your community in terms of uh, being able to know who's, who's, who's around you, really. So I think Dave has, has more specific ideas of kind of the, the sequential order uh, of uh, tasks that need to be carried out in order to really get away from the PBMs completely. And, and I'll let Dave talk about that. Um, but it, it, just to go back one step briefly as to our experience working with the PBMs, because um, I think drug manufacturers kind of get a lot of the, the focus of high drug prices, especially on the branded side of and kind of what Kyle was saying is that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of the absence of transparency, really, in, in terms of the whole process. And our our process was again the standard route was to set the, the wholesale price very high. Uh, it's currently seven hundred dollars, 
Um, and really what the, the PBMs do is they mark up that um, by about 10 or 15%, and then they show the, the rebate that we offer to their members uh, as basically they, uh, a win that they've negotiated down this price, usually by between 50 and 70%. Um, but then the remainder, that remaining cost is borne by the, the consumers and by the employers or, or whoever is providing that, that coverage. Um, and the manufacturers usually actually buy down the, the copay um, to a very small amount, um, in our case, up to $85 a month. And then the wholesalers take a piece as well. So the wholesalers will take about 80 bucks from 10 to 12% of that black uh, price. So in the end, we were making the same as we are right now as through the PBMs. Um, so we sell as a bit of mag for a dollar a day, um, free home delivery, no step throughs, no prior authorization, no nothing standing between between the, the provider and, and the patient. And you might you might ask, what's the problem with having a very high whack price if it's a, an artificial number? You know, no one's actually paying that. So what's the problem? There's a few problems with that. One is that for people on Medicare, they get pushed into the donut hole. So at some point they lose their coverage because they're paying, if they need a branded drug they're being pushed into a position where they can't actually uh, get any coverage and they, they're paying out of pocket for part of the year. Um, also for the pharmacies, it's very hard for pharmacies to actually carry branded products. And as Dave said, he doesn't care if he dispenses branded products and that, that's not good for manufacturers. So again, and as Kyle said, you don't know exactly when you'll be reimbursed or how much. And so there's kind of this lack of understanding those are, those are kind of a few of the, the issues um, other than the step-throughs and the PAs that, that are required. And I think still that, as, as I said, that the lack of transparency in the PBMs dealing with the pharmacies, they deal with the, the consumers, they deal with the manufacturers in kind of one-way directions. Um, no one actually knows about, a lot of people don't know about the PBM uh, games. And, uh, and a lot of pharmacies don't know what the manufacturers experience and vice versa. So um, ultimately, someone has to pay for this, right? Someone's, someone's footing the bill for, for high-branded uh, drugs, and it comes down to the consumers and the insurance plans. Um, and one of the, the, the things you can look at is just the profits that the PBMs make versus the even the biggest pharma companies. Um, so that, that was, again, kind of the emphasis to, to move away and work with independent pharmacies. And, and us as a manufacturer, we, we started business in 2006, and again, relatively recently moved into the prescription consumer uh, product area. Um, but I think having worked with independent pharmacies already to some extent, uh, we've been very impressed. Um, and I think Dave will talk about, you can ask him after this, but kind of the, the stepwise process. And I think if we can prove that this concept works with branded products, um, basically it's about moving generics away from PBMs and then moving branded products away as well. But to answer your question, I think if, if independent pharmacies are interested in working with manufacturers, we're interested to hear from you. Uh, and if you can market effectively and network locally, those are kind of the two biggest uh, pluses. And the third, I guess, is just having the time because I, every independent pharmacy we've worked with is always swamped and doesn't have a lot of time to really focus on other business initiatives. So it's kind of weighing those three factors. Dave, jump in that to that mixture and, you know, you, you have a 
a well-oiled machine now, but this didn't happen overnight. So what are some steps that can be taken by our listeners, by our pharmacy owners right now that they can, they can do things to put something in action? Sure. And I think this is a good lead in because some of what I'm going to talk about, you know, in terms of the manifesto, as Monique calls it, you know, is going to require action on the part of independent pharmacists. And it's going to require action on the part of all pharmacists, to be honest with you. You know, and, and that's part of the challenge. Pharmacists have got to learn that they got to get off their ass, do less bitching and do a little more work. You know, we can all sit around and complain about the PBMs until you actually do something. You know, all you're doing is making noise. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about what some of those actions are. You know, let, let's go all the way back to where the PBMs come from. You know, way back when, let's go all the way back to the, to the shoebox days, what I call the indemnity days of where, where, where our parents went to the doctor and went to the drugstore and they saved the receipts and they sent them into HR and they got a check back once a quarter, or once a year, or whatever. You know, and again, remember, this is pre-internet days, pre-computer days, you know, and so the PBMs and managed care came along and said, let us make this job easy for you, you know, and we will do this, remember, for a flat fee, much like the transparent PBMs now, you know, and so that was how they got their foot in the door, you know, and I'm not, I don't need to rehash where we are now, we all know that, but my goal is to essentially bring it back to that point. Now, how can we do that? You know, I remember when I first got into this PBM fight going, why are they doing them? Why do we have PBMs? Visa MasterCard now can do things with a click of, an, uh, and a click of a switch. We now have computers. You know, it's the same process. Somebody's paying, somebody's getting paid. You know, we're moving money from, from the payer to the payee, whether it's me going into Sears buying a washing machine or you walking into a pharmacy getting your blood pressure medicine, you know? And so that, that was a thought I had back probably 2007-ish. You know, where are we now? Well, now we have flexible spending accounts and HSA accounts. And who are they administered by? Visa MasterCard, you know? And so that, that framework is already there. We now have the framework in place to have Visa MasterCard handle a lot of these transactions just like they should have been doing all along. Now, how, how does that make the next step? Well, like I said, we've got HSA and flexible spending accounts now. What are 95% of what we dispense are generics. Again, you go back to when PBM started, the generic world didn't even exist. It was all brand names, but now we have 95% of the prescriptions that leave a pharmacy, not dollars, but prescriptions, leaving the pharmacy are generics. And most of them are pretty damn cheap. And most of them can be covered through an HSA or a flexible spending account. You need no PBM involved in the majority of the generics that go out the door, and the majority of the prescriptions that go out the door. So when I say we need to get pharmacists off their ass and start doing something, that's a real simple one right there. We need to start tailoring that message to the employers. And you can start in your local community, you know, and I'm still amazed how many pharmacists don't understand what it means to be self-insured, that your most of your city, county, municipal, municipalities, 
school boards, all these things are self-insured groups that ultimately are paying the bills. They're all scrambling for ways to save money, you know, and, and HSAs and flexible spending accounts were designed across the medical spectrum as a way of reducing employer costs. So why are we running any generic to any of the tr traditional PBMs? I'm not lumping Kyle into this yet. We're gonna talk about the role of transparency here in a minute. But why is any generic drug being processed through any traditional PBM? There is absolutely no reason for it right now because that is the traditional PBMs one of their main profit centers. We know about spread pricing. Everybody on this call surely knows about spread pricing by now. So that would eliminate the spread pricing game, take those drugs right out of the PBM's hands and put a significant dent in their, in their financial wherewithal. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, there's still other, a couple buckets of money that I'll hit on you in a minute. But you, if, if we could get the major self-insured employers across the country with every independent pharmacy, making a commitment to talk to five self-insured employers in their area to say, when you renew your contract, renew all generics from the PBM's purview. Use your PBM solely for brands. I'll talk about brands in a minute, I promise. But every employer should go back to the PBM and say, we're no longer using you for generics. We will take the money, Again, take your per member per month charge that you gave to the PBM last year and you eliminate all of that and you throw, you divide that by your number of employers, employees, I'm sorry, and you throw that into the employee's HSA. So now the employee's got a $10,000 HSA instead of a $5,000 HSA and he uses that for all of his drugs, all of his generic drugs. As of yet, there still needs to be the brands addressed, but, but in terms of something every independent could do today is get the generics out of the hands of the PBMs. So now that, that's step one. So let's assume we had success of that over the next two to three years. Now, what do we do about the brands? Well, here's where what Medicare and Marley Drug has done comes into play. You know, Neil will talk in greater detail, but I'll throw out some, some very rough numbers, not specific, but just, again, analogous numbers. You know, what, what he talked about, I don't know if you heard the, heard the math as Neil was talking. Their whack is $700. We're selling it 90 days for 90 bucks. See, the difference is almost $600 worth of funny money going on there, and it ain't going to Medicare. And it ain't going to the employers either. That nearly $600 in rebates going into the hands of the PBM. You remember what we learned back when the Lipitor generic story broke? Putt's claim to fame when we launched that story in the New York Times. We were able to show that the majority of the PBM contracts were flat rebate contracts. You know, the employer would sign a, a, a PBM formula that would be blah, blah, blah reimbursement rate, and the employer would get $15 per claim per brand. I remember 15, the employer was getting 15 bucks, but Pfizer was given nearly 60, 70 bucks back to keep that drug on the formula. And so it's much the same thing here. Neil's having to give the PBMs nearly 600 bucks, but the employer's rebate in their contract is probably 15 to 20 bucks. So who's keeping the other 500? So what's the solution? 
This is the part that I asked my retail independent pharmacy brethren to hang on here for a minute. Let me get to the end game because this might freak you out. Everybody, everybody flips out when we talk about restricted networks. But essentially, the Marley Medicare thing is a restricted network, save for the independents that they work with. But in the short term, let's say we took every brand and every brand manufacturer said, you know what? I'm tired of giving this money to the PBMs. I want to do this too. And whether it was through Marley Drug or any other mail order route, let's say there's a half a dozen of us out there, all doing basically the same thing, where the, P where the manufacturers are saying, we're not giving the PBMs this money. We're going to go direct, and we're going to eliminate the PBMs from the process. Over time, you've now removed the value of the PBMs as it comes to the generics. You've eliminated their need for them to even exist for the brands. Specialty, that's a whole other animal. I'm going to leave that alone today. But let's say now five years down the road, you know, and again, just to take a step back, like I said early on, how many independent pharmacists do you really think would shed a tear if I said to eliminate the PBMs for the next three years, you're not going to be able to dispense a brand? Reason why, you know, and, and, and but for the next three years, it's going to take that long to get all the major manufacturers on board with this to say, we're not playing ball with the PBMs anymore. We're going direct to consumer. Now it's five years down the road. Express Scripts is gone. Prime Therapeutics is gone. Optum is gone. They've all disappeared because their revenue streams have, dis have vanished. Now we can bring in the APRO RXs of the world or even have them involved in the process for that matter. You know, there, there's no reason when we bring that $700 drug down to a $90 drug that APRO-RX can't get involved for the employer that says, well, I still want to be able to do this for my employees. Well, we've had conversations with APRO. We can do this. APRO can do it for what we said way back when, going back to when the PBM has first existed. For a flat fee, any transparent can be involved in any part of this process because there is still the challenge of the pricing piece. So let, let's say other employers can't get it down to a bucket tablet. You know, let's say it's the insulins and it's, it's now $5 a day. So you're looking at 150 bucks and the employer says, well, I still want to offer a benefit. You know, we can still work with the transparent PBMs. Once we've eliminated all that rebate garbage and all that fluff manipulation that the PBMs do, then we can bring it all back to community pharmacy, bring it all back to where it was 30 years ago, except now we're doing it what was as, as it was originally promised. We're making life easier for HR. We're providing value through the, through the, the processing process, and we're doing it for a flat fee of roughly 3 to $4 a claim. That's the, that's the manifesto. So, so there's two, two main moving parts there. One is the independence. Whether the Merrily Medicare side of this and the brand side of this works, every independent can work on getting the generics away from the PBMs. In today's world, with flexible spending accounts and HSA accounts and low-cost generics, no PBM has any valuable role in the processing of a generic prescription. None. Other manufacturers are interested in this. And we've heard from others who want to work with us actually and 
you know, are very curious because they've had the same struggles with, with PBMs. Um, and as, as Dave said, I think it's going to be incremental and it's kind of proof of concept and where the dollars go, uh, you know, people tend to follow. Um, and especially from patients and physicians, they really like this approach. It's simple. They know that they're going to get their prescription filled. Um, and I, I think that that's going to be a big contributor as well as the physician voice to say, we like working directly with our pharmacy. Um, we don't like the overhead of doing uh, insurance claims and prior authorizations. And there was a, a survey recently of physicians who, who said that basically prior authorizations impact patients and it, impact, it causes uh, health, health issues for their patients because they, they may not get the medications they need. So I think physicians are actually on board with this. Um, and I guess the question is why has no one done this before? And I think it, it comes down to just kind of the mindset of uh, this getting out of the status quo and just kind of making that move um, to, to really what makes more sense and just kind of calling a spade a spade. You know, I mean, getting the product to the pharmacy, I assume that is still being done through the traditional wholesale model. We want to get away from the wholesalers. So as much as possible, and when we've worked with independent pharmacies, we direct ship to them. Good. Glad to know that. And then what role does the pharmacist play? We've touched around the edges of this. I mean, to get the physician and the consumer to understand, um, you know, the benefit of a, a paying cash for a product that they've typically had an insurance company involved in. What's that communication look like? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's interesting. Uh, people pay a lot for their insurance, um, so they want to use it. And it's hard to maybe get them away from using their insurance. Um, and just a, a couple of things that kind of are around your question is cash has a little, little bit of a dirty connotation, like, oh, uh, you, <laughs> you have to pay cash for your medications. Um, and, and so really there is an education required. And I think that the pharmacist can tell um, their customers, um, you know, it's still FDA approved products. We, we all, always get questions as why is it so cheap? Same FDA approved product. Um, there's a branded competitor of ours that's 10 times the cost. Same active molecule. Uh, it's just a question of they, they go through the PBMs, we're going direct to consumers. So um, I, th I think there's actually education from both the pharmacist and the physician and the consumer. But I think where the pharmacist can help is to really explain why is this less expensive? And it kind of speaks to what Dave was talking about in terms of the overall plan of you know, paying for some medications through cash and really keeping your insurance for when you really need it uh, in other sense. But I, I think the bottom line is, is that there, we don't really have any great education piece yet for pharmacists to really kind of very clearly lay out the process and why it's so much cheaper. Um, I think that we should develop, develop that. Um, but that, that's the biggest step. And also the pharmacist I, I found has good relationships with their local prescribers. So educating the prescriber on the system as well and how it benefits them, especially when it comes to avoiding their, the clinic overhead. Uh, and the, the, the physician doesn't want to see patients come back because they couldn't get their medication filled. Uh, they don't want to have to go through the insurance cycle because that, that just takes up their time. So um, it, it really just comes to, I think that the pharmacist does play a role in education. 
pharmacies, it's kind of analogizes this. At pharmacies, you take PBM cards and they take credit cards. Um, and certain pharmacies don't take certain credit cards because of the fees that are involved and everything. But imagine uh, your credit card, your American Express, Visa, Discover, and all those cards, uh, which you accept for payment of everything at your pharmacy, stopped paying you. And actually, they ended up making more money off the goods and services that you sell than, um, uh, than you. You would stop accepting that card, would you not? As a pharmacist, and if, for all those that are listening, of course you would. That's why certain people don't accept American Express because their fees are higher than others. Sorry, we don't accept that. You have another card. That's the same thing here with the PBMs. If you know that you're going to go through here, which both are credit cards and PBMs are very similar. Both have bin numbers. Both have banking identification numbers. So if a pharmacy runs that claim or swipes that card, if you will, through a PBM and they're not gonna get paid for it, you should stop accepting and find a different way to do it and stop accepting that status quo. Again, I'm a PBM, but I charge on a, on a per member per month basis. So I have the zero conflict of interest. So, and, and yes, Dave and I have talked in the past as said we can, you know, instead of a PBMs being the choke point, you know, for, for goods and services and medicine in the world, you know, somebody develops a cancer saving, you know, cures cancer, PBM says, awesome, we'll get it to marketplace. What's my rebate? That's not healthcare. You know, why be that choke point? Why they're calling to the wrong people to the to the to this um, uh, Washington D.C. They're calling the wrong people to the state houses. They need to be calling PBMs. So if you wouldn't accept that, if you would if you would not accept those credit cards anymore, if they started making more money or weren't paying you, then you should also take a look at this as well. And and you put it in different terms. It's a no brainer. And that's again that's why APRO exists because my dad was pissed. <laughs> So hopefully that, if you're out there listening, think about that. You would, I know you would no longer accept those cards and you say cash only, please. You know, to your, to your question, Bruce, you know, what do you tell the person? You know, just, just like I said for years, you know, th this year's rebate is next year's price increase. You tell the consumer the same thing. You know, the more you utilize insurance, the more your premium is going to jump next year. So, you know, the less you use your insurance, Unless your premium will be next year, you know, and so yeah, you're you may have paid for it out of your out of your payroll deduction this year, but if you insist on using it, and we haven't even talked about, you know, in terms of with this particular drug, Zipinamag, is such an easy sell with what Medicare is doing with the with the with the, the competitive product they're going after. You know, why would you why would you want to ding your insurance for Livalo for over a thousand dollars for a ninety day supply? when you get the exact same drug under a different brand name for 90 bucks cash. I mean, it, it's, it's a very easy sell for, for this product product in particular, it's a very easy sell, you know, and, and then going back to what they were saying in terms of, you know, the, the, uh, with a pharma manufacturer, you know, what a lot of them forgot because the system has been this way for so long is that pharmacists can move market share. Marley Drug moved market share in a big way back in 2007 when we created our generic voucher. If you came into my store with a prescription for Nexium, I gave you a voucher that said, get your doctor to change it to Omeprazole and I will give you the first 30 days for free. Hmm. You know, and, and we got rid of, back then in 2000, I think it was 2011, we got rid of dispensing any Nexium, dispensing any brand name Crestor, dispensing any brand name Lexapro, we moved market share away from all these pharma companies because the generics were cheaper. And so, yeah, pharmacists can have a huge impact for pharma if the, if the incentives are aligned 
you know, to where we're not getting screwed by trying to help them out. Thank you for that. I, I, I think that's the 500 pound gorilla in the room that too many pharmacy owners fail to remember is they can influence the prescribing habits of the physicians in their area. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when we learn to do that, the, uh, the economics will change. Pharmacists got to be business owners, just like the flower shop, just like the insurance folks, just like everyone out there in small towns and big towns. They got they go out and they got to go get it. It's not you can't just open your door anymore and people are going to walk in. As a matter of fact, that's how you lose money. Where's the administration come in of this, uh, Kyle? If you're listening to uh, Neil and Dave kind of give this plan, but we still have these business owners, these pharmacy owners who are still cloudy. How does an administrative engine like AproRx, which is trusted as a transparent PBM, how do you insert the Apro to make an administrative, well-oiled machine behind the scenes that's communicating with the um, employers, that's communicating possibly even with you know the physicians? But how does how do we expand upon this and and make it? I don't want to say easier because Dave was right. We need to get off our asses and actually roll up your sleeve and do something that doesn't feel comfortable. It's not the status quo, right. it's different. But what what does APRO do? How do you guys play a role in this? Facilitate, don't dictate. And frankly, get the hell out of the way. All right, if they have a better product for, uh, for to, to get to market at a cheaper price, get out of the way. Mandate that that's the only covered NDC because um, uh, it's at the cheapest price and use the power of a PBM uh, as a force for good. You know, what can be done, what can be done, but it's not being done due to different philosophies is, is, is that restriction and choke point. I mean, they're printing money. So get out of the way. Don't, why does a PBM, I'm not a pharmacist. I, I, I as a PBM, we don't own a pharmacy. Um, why do I have more control than the pharmacists and the physicians? I shouldn't. So it's getting out of the way. It's 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 getting changing from within side. Getting the an employer, having a pharmacist go out and give me their their largest employer in the area that they fill scripts for. They see the cards, write it down. You know, not the patient's name, just the company. Go talk to them. Go to your whatever business things there are out there. Go to the black ties. Go to the go to the four H. Whatever it takes, and 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 let them know that there's an alternative. Get some data. And then give it to me. I'll give it to Dave, and we'll look at it just from a you know what they're filling. Say, look, there's six thousand scripts a month with this really large company that we can transfer over here, and the savings that are associated with it. Like, well, doesn't that uh, uh, take money away from you as a PBM? Of course it does. But again, it doesn't mean I'm not profitable. Again, PBMs are the the amount of profits that are that they're making is 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 mind mind blowing um and the things that that we could sit here and talk for six ten hours about it's not that again it's not that we're undercutting our pbm competition we're just simply not overcharging our clients and making sure that if the physician writes it it's medically necessary um and once once we go through that if there's through a pa process or whatever is needed then we find a way to make sure it's the cheapest price possible and that's working with the right pharmacies it's working with the right medications finding the right prices actually providing management in pharmacy benefit management, I mean, actually doing the work, not lick, stick and ship it and make, you know, and knowing there's no oversight with five-year PAs that are put out there and then making sure our pharmacists don't get paid. That's, 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 that's great for me, but that's not great for, for, uh, 
for the Marleys and the pharmacists of the world, for my dad, for my brother, for anything. So it's 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 getting out there, find telling people about um, uh, about Dave, or telling people about APRO because we'll get out of the way. And I put Dave in charge of it. You know, put the pharmacist back in charge of it to design those plans and to make sure that whatever we design for that particular employer group is, is at the lowest possible cost, best efficiency, best efficacy, zero conflicts of interest, and to make sure that the patient gets the meds. End of story. If they get their meds and they get it at a cheap price, lower prices mean better adherence, and, and on and on and on and on. There's, there's numerous studies about that. In the end, healthcare costs come down. Healthcare is not expensive. It really isn't. It's just made to be expensive. Again, you guys said it yourself, $700 whack prices. It's kind of like um, I got a $100 item um, and I want to get a discount off of it. So I don't take the discount down. I just raise the price to 200, slash that number out, write the 100 again. I say I saved you 50% and charge you for saving you money. That's the broker's world. You know, and that's and that's why those prices exist. And the students that come through here from seven, the seven different pharmacy schools, um, that we have programs with, I have I have two questions they have to answer in 30 days. Two questions, and it sounds simple, but it's not. It's one, how does the pharmacist get paid, really? And two, what's a drug cost? And they go, oh, that's easy. You know, they're, you know, they're, you know, 22-year-old, you know, dingbats, you know, <laughs> thinking they're all everything, getting ready to graduate. But uh, and and then they they can't figure it out. And then the answer is because there's there's 40 right answers for what a drug costs. But what's the real ethical one the ethical one and the real one is the one dave marley's doing oh i like the steps that you've presented dave um this is obviously um for lots of people that are consuming this information a, a podcast this will be on youtube um neil last question for you is are there other opportunities other independently owned community pharmacies throughout the nation that you want to be working with absolutely um, if anyone wants to reach out to, to me personally or, or the company, we do actually want to hear from you because I think uh, I, I've seen this said on, on other podcasts that you've done that independent pharmacies are a powerful group um, and, and we want to work directly with you. So um, as, Dave, as Dave said, you know, we are working nationally, but I think that it, the more partners we have uh, is a good thing. And especially, again, because of that local influence uh, that can be had um, within, within those regions. So yeah, please reach out. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to kind of seeing how this goes. So far, the reaction has been extremely positive. Uh, we, we hear that from, from consumers, physicians. They, they can't believe how easy it is. Um, doctors love it. So hopefully we can just prove that this model works well. Uh, and, and get some attention and we'll see what happens with the PBMs in terms of, uh, you know, our interactions with them. Um, Dave started out by saying that there's kind of like this looming threat feeling and, and it's true, they, they, they wield a lot of power. So, um, you know, it's not something to be taken lightly, but we'll see what the, what the model shows. I just read a book uh, recently, it's called Small is Beautiful, you know, economics as if people mattered. And one of the quotes I got out of that was, any intelligent fool can make things bigger and more complex, um, but it takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. And again, that's what, that's what Dave and Neil are doing here, uh, because one of our taglines is disruptive simplicity, because we need to simplify the transaction to make sure people can get their bets. That plain and simple. And I just, I'm 100% behind this as a PBM, and because uh, uh, it's a no-brainer to me. 
there's going to be um, links in our show notes, and we're going to push this through social media to reach out to Neil and to reach out to Kyle. Kyle with AproRx and the ideas and understanding that he has in building new models and helping you to reach the employers that are in your area. We do not expect you to do this by yourself. And there are entities and organizations out there that are committed to this. Once again, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency has been instrumental in getting the messaging out. But messaging is one thing, listening to a podcast is another thing, and taking action is an entirely different thing. But you don't have to do it by yourself. It's not gonna be necessarily easy to get started because the status quo feels comfortable, even though it's a slow, dull pain that's killing you in your business and taking away the freedoms of your community as you, as the provider of healthcare services in your community, need to stay there because you're trusted and your community loves you. So remember, it's a step-by-step process, but we are here to help you reach out to Kyle, reach out to Neil. I will have in the show notes information reach out to Bruce. Bruce is a a plethora, an encyclopedia of information um, in in his understanding of of community pharmacy and how we're fighting for community pharmacy. And we have to be smart about it. We can't, um, you can't sit there and do nothing but but bitch and moan about about the status quo. It's it's never going to solve anything. You got to be a bull. Got to be a bull. Oh, I want to thank Dave Marley. Like I said, you've been a a hero of mine in the community pharmacy space for years. I thank you for being here and and sharing your story. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for your insights and your willingness to help other community pharmacies. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for uh, sponsoring another um, one of these uh, very out-of-the-box thinking um, webinars. And uh, a shout-out to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency for being also our sponsor and helping you get this information out. If you are a community pharmacy owner and you want more information, please reach out to us and we will help you connect with these people. And once again, you are not alone in this. Any uh, final thoughts, uh, Dave, in wrapping up? You know, I think you hit on it. You know, take action. Too many pharmacists are are, are tend to sit and complain in their computers, but not inclined to get off their butts and do anything about it. True. Very good. Bruce, thank you for hosting this again with me. I appreciate you and your insights. Howard, thanks so much for letting me be part of this. Absolutely. We thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. I'm your biggest fan. If you're a pharmacist or pharmacy technician that's out there, and I'm always here to help you too, please look us up at at Pharmacy Podcast. And with that, we are out. Thank you.